Our Bible reading is taken from John 16. Um, and that's, um, of course, a passage that comes after John 15. So while those verses of John 15 aren't up on the board, let me just read to you a little of that context. If you have your Bibles open, um, it's not on the screen. But John 15 is telling about the Advocate, the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 26, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And, verse 27, you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So that's the context. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to be sent. He'll point people to me. And you must testify. So that's the missionary context. And now I'm going to um, also read chapter 16, from which the passage comes. Um, I'll make a pause at a certain point. And the reason I'm doing that, because I think the passage... Uh, makes good sense with a pause. So I'll explain that in a moment. Of course, the Bible doesn't have pauses, doesn't say, and there was silence, but let's read it together. So Jesus is speaking, All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. Now put you out of the synagogue, in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that, you, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he comes, the spirit of truth comes, 
when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. So um, the text is verse 8 and also verse 7. It's for your good that I'm going away in verse 7. It's for your good. And verse 8, when he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Consternation. That's not a word that we use very often. It's a very strong word, consternation. So I looked up some uh, dictionary meanings of consternation. As it speaks of a fear that makes you helpless. Another definition was a feeling of anxiety or dismay, typically at something unexpected. And the third definition, a sudden alarming amazement or dread that results in utter confusion. So there, in December 2016, our son, who was 33, told us that he'd just spoken to the specialist who'd given him a colonoscopy, but he was diagnosed with an aggressive type of colon cancer. Rhea and I experienced consternation. That day, I was filled with consternation. What now? How can this be good? In our text, Jesus makes a statement. So he's teaching his disciples that the Holy Spirit will come, the counsellor would come, and Jesus would send him. And he would tell them about him. And that's what he said. You must testify. You must testify. And there's some warnings in chapter 16. Well, it's going to be tough. People are going to be happy that they put you to death even. You'll be persecuted to death. I want to warn you about these things. You'll be rejected from the synagogue... That's what will happen. And then the statement, I am going to him who sent me. 
And I guess there was a pause when Jesus made that announcement. It seems to really fit well. Because Jesus says, no one's asking me. Where are you going? So that's what he expected. He tells them these things about all the suffering and all the pain and the rejection. And then he says, I'm going. And they didn't say a thing. They didn't even ask the question. Jesus had to give them the question. Consternation of fear that makes you helpless. Anxiety at, at what's coming. I'm going, says Jesus, and they've got nothing to say. And the scripture says that they were filled with fear. And that the sense of that is filled to capacity. They couldn't be more fearful. Fearful, completely fearful. Filled with grief. A deep, heartfelt sorrow. Jesus is saying all this stuff about the persecution that's coming. And then he says, I'm going. And in this very tense and confusing atmosphere, Jesus then declares, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, of course, we fully understand uh, what the disciples were going through, don't we? Why is it good? That's what we want to look at today and think about. God the Holy Spirit is going to do three things. Jesus says three things, important things the Holy Spirit would do. He's going to change our convictions and the world's convictions first and foremost. And that's why it's such a good thing. That's how the consternation is going to be resolved. So this evening we're looking at the how of dealing with fear. This fear of confusion, this fear, this consternation. Three things the Holy Spirit does to make Jesus' departure good. And they are clearly stated there, sin. He's going to give a heart change about sin. Sin, deserving eternal punishment. Our rebellion, our disobedience. Second thing, righteousness. He'll make a man or a woman see that we have no hope without Christ, without a person to take our place at the judgment seat of God. And that's the third point. Jesus rules. There is a day of judgment. The evil one will be judged eternally. His doom is sure. 
So let's look at those points. And I'll be spending a little bit more time on the third point. But let's consider those three ways that Jesus says his going is good. The first thing is that a miracle needs to happen. The Holy Spirit has to change your conviction about sin and mine and the world's conviction about sin. This is a mission context. Jesus is saying, you've got to testify about me. That's your task. And that's the miracle that has to happen. Blind people cannot, cannot find the way home. We read there, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. I hope that you can say today clearly that I can see Jesus. I know Jesus. He is my saviour and king. But before you can say that, you've got to realise I'm unacceptable to God. I'm a sinner. I've turned my back on him. And that's the first thing that has to happen. The first miracle. How can this world ever come? Those who don't know Jesus, how can they ever come to him? Unless they first see who they are before God. My willful heart. My rejection of God. My sinful nature. I've turned my back on him. The first thing that Jesus says, there's got to be a miracle. A miracle of conviction. For people to see who they are before God and what they've done. That God is holy. Isaiah of old said, woe is me. Woe is me when he saw the holiness of God. The second miracle that Jesus talks about, the Holy Spirit also needs to convict the world about the way back to the Father. And what is the way? Perfection. A righteous life. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is to show us the cure. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. People do not see that. How can they? They don't recognise their sin and rebellion. And that God will forever remove them from his sight and reject them and punish them forevermore. Unless the Holy Spirit makes you to see that there is a way, the way of God, the way God has provided. There's a boisterous chorus that the young people were singing in church the other day. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Great verse. How good it is that Jesus freely gives us his righteousness. Doesn't he? He who had no sin, he became sin. And what did we get? We received the righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit helps me to see it's not goodness, it's not obedience, it's not coming to church that makes me right with him. No, it's the righteousness of Jesus alone. I'm right with God. And Jesus has gone there to the Father to plead my cause right now. And I'm acceptable and received and favoured and embraced because the Father doesn't see me as I am but sees me as a spotless and blameless person through his Son. And does that fill you with awe and wonder and joy? Gospel joy. So the world is wrong about sin. It doesn't understand that. It says, well, it's behavior modification. The world is wrong about righteousness. It's not about what you do. All those obituaries to say people who have died were good. There's a place in heaven for them. Well, there's only one who's good. Only one. And there's a third thing that Jesus says here to his disciples. One more way to see how we live as Christians and realize and understand it's good that Jesus has gone to the Father. One thing that the disciples need to know for sure He convicts me about the fact that this world, this order, is evil. There is a prince. He's an illegitimate prince. He's wrongfully there. He's the prince of darkness. He is a pretender. He will never sit on the throne. And the world doesn't see it unless the Holy Spirit brings that conviction, Jesus says. And if ever the world needs to know that, it's now. And unless you know it, unless I know it, then we don't understand how the presence of Jesus in heaven is good for us. This Prince of darkness is condemned. His doom is sure. We'll be singing that hymn later. A, a song that Martin Luther composed. Lo, his doom is sure. He has been conquered. He has been crushed. So, we trust the finished work of Jesus. Through him we have peace with God.
peace like a river flows all through my life. It's good to sing that hymn again. But we also have a hope in this world that seems to be going crazy. A world where all sorts of forces are at work. We read about an assassination. We read about disease, pandemics. We live with it every day. Cost of living and all the things that seem to be going topsy-turvy. We think about the world in which we live, where in this computer age there's so many evils that seem to be so readily available. And the forces at work. Then I'm thinking about a pagan festival in Hobart. Strangest things. Think about Hinduism and how it keeps people in darkness and wants to do that. Here's a great comfort. The world needs to see more and more that the prince of this world stands condemned. His doom is sure. So we are pilgrims on a journey, and we're pilgrims through this barren land. We're facing the prince of this world, this pretender. But he still has so much, so much power, doesn't he? He seems to. And every day he stands condemned. And yet he seeks to wreak more and more havoc. Do you see that tension? Tension in your life, and I see it in my life. Do you have this Holy Spirit perspective of the world in which we live? Only if we have that can we have boldness and strength. I find it really helpful to, to listen to um, Martin Isle speaking um, about these worldview issues. And the way ACL is able to to deliver that again and again and make us think how we can speak into this world where there's so much darkness. The Holy Spirit convicts the world about the prince of darkness. As it says in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. They band together against the Lord and his anointed. That's the worldview, isn't it? That's exactly what Jesus is saying to his disciples now. The nations conspire. Let's break their chains. Let's get rid of the rule of Christ. And our sin bearer with his grace scarred hands, who shows the Father his perfection and righteousness, 
and claims us as his own, also reminds us that the prince of darkness, we tremble not for him. And mustn't tremble for him. It's good for the world that Jesus has gone to the Father right now. He's there right now. And Jesus is saying, you must testify and I must testify about these things. Let me um, illustrate with a few slides that I just want to show um, about the things that seemingly are very grim and difficult. So there's a, there's a slide there. It shows a picture of, um, on the left-hand side, I hope you can see that, about a pictorial way to represent People leaving the church. How sad it is in decline of Christianity. This is a few years ago now. Um, but about 4,300 are leaving the church every day in Europe and North America. A serious issue, isn't it? People leaving the church. The Prince of Darkness... The prince of this world seems to be taking people out of church. And if you have up to date with the census statistics in Australia, fewer and fewer people are claiming to be Christians today. Were they ever believers? But then the other side of that slide shows in Africa things aren't like that. Thousands and thousands and thousands are coming into the church every day. But not in Europe and North America, and we could add Australia there. The second slide. It's the right-hand side of the, the slide. shows the graph um, as it may turn out, according to trends. It shows the how things are going as far as the world is concerned of Christians in each continent. But look at Africa and Asia. Significant changes are happening in the worldwide Christian scene. Certainly the centre of gravity is changing very much around the world. And then the third slide shows that in another way. If you try and imagine roughly that the world is divided north and south, 120 years ago, 82% of Christians lived in the northern hemisphere. And now this picture shows two-thirds of Christians live in the Southern Hemisphere, in Africa and Asia and South America. So these slides help us to see that what we see 
is not God's perspective necessarily. What we see around about us. From a gospel focus, the prince of this world stands condemned. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's convicting this world of sin and righteousness. And the fact that the prince of this world is condemned already. It's not up to you. It's up to him. He's at work. And I don't need to be afraid. And I don't need to be filled with fear and consternation. It's good that Jesus is at God's right hand right now. And we don't need to be afraid. And it's not because of those slides that we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid because of the promises of God. We can live confidently in this sad world. The person who bore our sin, the Lord Jesus, is clothed in righteousness. And so are we through him. Guilt because of sin. Righteousness because of a saviour. And the victory of Jesus Christ. There's still a huge task for us to do. Christianity continues to grow all over the world. That should be a cause of celebration. And 40% of the world's population today still bows down to the prince of darkness still hasn't heard about Jesus. Don't know the cure for sin and the fact that there's righteousness at God's right hand. And Jesus said to his disciples, you must testify and I must testify. Missions is God's means. He's given us a place and a task Right where he's placed us. Right amongst our friends who don't know Jesus. Right in our communities. And he's poured out his Holy Spirit amongst us. Do we have this perspective for Launceston? Do we understand this perspective for ourselves? The disciples were filled with consternation, weren't they? It says they were fearful. But the Holy Spirit has to produce a miracle. It's not our work, it's his. But he chooses to use us to testify about him. Let's call on God's name in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can call on your name. We thank you that You are the victorious King of glory. And we want to pray to you tonight that we might leave here with fire in our bones and joy in our hearts. How good it would have been to have Jesus here today speaking to us in person. 
but instead you've poured out your spirit upon the world that he can be amongst us in power, convicting the world of sin and convicting us of sin and our need of a saviour and giving us security and joy and comfort in the gospel that we are secure forever into all eternity and reminding us and assuring us that the evil one is condemned. We have the victory. In that strength, we pray that you'll go with us throughout the week. Bless us in our work and witness. And bless us as we testify to the power of the risen Lord Jesus, who alone can deal with our alienation, who alone can bring us peace forevermore. Pour out your spirit upon the world. We think of the missionary endeavours that we support in central India and pray that that too would continue to receive your blessing. Hear our prayer, for we ask it in your precious name. Amen.